0: This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice Podcast, your bi weekly source of news, views, and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk, who has had no influence on the content or choice of faculty. As always, I'm James Bannister.
1: And I'm Emma Phillips. In today's session, we'll be focusing on diabetic retinopathy and its relevance to diabetes management. We'll begin with a quick overview of the pathology of the condition, its prevalence in patients with type 1 and type 2 diabetes, and its associated risk factors. We'll then join Dr. Philip Burgess to hear his advice on optimising treatment.
0: Diabetic retinopathy is a progressive disease of the retina, which is caused by prolonged exposure to hyperglycemia. This causes damage to the blood vessels that nourish the retina. The first stages of mild and moderate non-proliferative retinopathy are marked by distinct swellings forming in the blood vessels, called microaneurysms, as well as vessel blockage. The later, more severe stages of retinopathy are characterized by further blockage of blood vessels, leakage, and abnormal blood vessel growth. Partial vision loss is a common symptom in early stages of diabetic retinopathy, while later stages can result in complete blindness. The 2019 ADA Standards of Medical Care and Diabetes summarise that the condition is common and strongly related to both duration of diabetes and degree of glycemic control.
1: In addition to chronic uncontrolled blood glucose, common risk factors include nephropathy, high blood pressure and dyslipidemia. In the 14-year UK Prospective Diabetes Study, or the UKPDS, the collaborators evaluated whether improved blood glucose in patients with type 2 diabetes reduces the incidence of microvascular complications including diabetic retinopathy. The study revealed positive results with patients in the intensive glucose control arm of the study showing a 25% relative reduction in microvascular disease compared to patients in the conventional glucose control arm who had modification to diet only. Overall, a 1% reduction in HbA1c was associated with 37% reduction in microvascular outcomes, which was mainly driven by retinopathy. Further, a post-hoc analysis of the UKPDS study looked at 1,148 hypertensive patients who were provided with tight control with the beta-blocker atenolol or the ACE inhibitor captopril. Tight control involved a blood pressure target of less than 150 over 85 millimetres of mercury compared to less than 180 over 105 millimetres of mercury in the less tight control group. Unlike glucose control, blood pressure control was shown to have a significant effect on both micro and macrovascular complications. After nine years of follow-up, retinopathy levels deteriorated by over eight levels in ETDRS grading in 23% of 152 less tightly controlled patients, compared with just under 10% of 384 of those who were tightly controlled and twice as many reached the endpoint of laser treatment or vitreous hemorrhage looking across studies including the ukpds the atherosclerosis risk in communities study early treatment diabetic retinopathy study report 22 and the diabetes control and complications trial these suggest a relationship between lipid markers and diabetic retinopathy however evidence remains inconclusive Despite this, experts recommend that lipid-lowering therapy may still be an effective adjunctive agent for diabetic retinopathy.
0: In the 2019 ADA guidelines, achievement of HbA1c normalization through intensive diabetes management is a key element in delaying the onset and progression of diabetic retinopathy and potentially improving patient visual function. In addition, these guidelines also advise annual screening to detect diabetic retinopathy and potentially delay progression of the condition. For patients newly diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, immediate screening and annual follow-up are recommended, unless symptoms of retinopathy progress, in which case there should be every six months. In addition, these guidelines recommend that pregnant women with diabetes, including gestational diabetes, should receive an eye test before the end of the first trimester. ADA guidelines further recommend that healthcare providers conduct an eye examination for patients, This should be carried out by primary and secondary care physicians to determine presence or a particular stage of diabetic retinopathy, and to enable amendment of treatment plans. In terms of treating retinopathy, studies like the UKPDS show the importance of lowering blood glucose and blood pressure in disease management. However, in patients with established disease, it is important to achieve normal HbA1c levels through a gradual decline rather than immediate intensive control. Rapid normalisation of HbA1c is associated with worsening retinopathy and may cause worsening loss of vision. As mentioned earlier, lipid management using lipid-lowering therapy may also prevent further microvascular damage.
1: Depending on the degree of retinopathy, the use of anti-vascular growth factor or VEGF treatment should be considered. Anti-VEGF inhibitors block the actions of growth factors involved in blood vessel development, which otherwise drives the abnormal vessel growth in the eyes of patients with severe diabetic retinopathy. Another method of treatment involves photocoagulation surgery. Trials providing the strongest evidence for the benefits of panretinal photocoagulation surgery include the diabetic retinopathy study, or the DRS, and the early treatment diabetic retinopathy study, the ETDRS. The DRS, published in 1976, showed that panretinal photocoagulation surgery reduced the risk of severe vision loss from progressive diabetic retinopathy from 15.9% in untreated eyes compared to 6.4% in treated eyes. The ETDRS study also verified the benefits of using this surgical treatment for high and less than high risk PDR cases. In the DRCR Protocol S trial, anti-VEGF agent ranibizumab was found to be non-inferior to panretinal photocoagulation in treating 394 treatment-naive eyes with proliferative diabetic retinopathy. The primary outcome was mean visual acuity change at two years. Overall, visual acuity letter improvement at two years was plus 2.8 points in the ranibizumab group versus plus 0.2 points in the PRP group.
0: So far, we have discussed the nature of diabetic retinopathy as a disease, its associated risk factors, and its management and treatment options. But in terms of real-world practice, what can clinicians do to help? We join Dr. Philip Burgess, Clinical Lecturer in Ophthalmology at the Institute of Aging and Chronic Disease in the UK, for a discussion of practical tips.
1: So, thank you so much for joining us today. Firstly, what strategies would you recommend to your colleagues in primary care and endocrinology in order to prevent poor retinal outcomes among people with type 2 diabetes?
2: Well, the the chief modifiable risk factors um, for for retinopathy are... um, Uh, HbA1c, so glycemic control and uh, blood pressure control. So in all the all the landmark studies, all the interventional trials, we know that um, good control of those two uh, factors uh, reduces the risk of um, retinopathy. The story for lipids is a little bit more complicated. Mixed results from the uh, epidemiological literature. Although there was uh, a randomised trial, of field study uh, some years ago, which showed a um, benefit for uh, retinopathy uh, with oral phenofibrate Although again a little bit complicated because the lipid uh, the, the, the lipid measurements in those patients didn't really color- correlate with the the benefit they got from the, from the drug. So we're not. Uh, Entirely sure of the mechanism of action, but that you know there's proof that that works in a randomised trial. And then the the next thing really is compliance with the uh, diabetic retinopathy screening programmes. It's a national programme. Uh, everyone with diabetes over the age of 12 in the UK is offered screening every uh, every year. So annual screening. Uh, we know that the screening programme is effective and cost effective but but the number th- one thing from a patient's point of view is, is really c- compliance and just being able to to making the time and um uh, the effort to uh, to attend those those screening um appointments because people with diabetes have uh, a lot of appointments and all that can be quite quite arduous and the, uh, but the we know the screening program is effective
1: thank you So secondly, it's been observed that a sudden decline in A1c can cause worsening of retinopathy. So how would you recommend that clinicians avoid this? And also, is this only a transient worsening or does it necessitate a more gradual intensification of treatment?
2: Yeah, so this this is definitely a recognised phenomenon. It it was witnessed in early trials, so DCCT, um, the the reduction of HbA1c, um, there was a a, a relatively small proportion of, of patients who... Had worse, what we call early worsening of uh, retinopathy with rapid reduction in glycemic control, and it's it's topical at the moment because we've seen with some of the uh, newer agents, GLP one agonists, um, that they they've produced very um, rapid uh, reductions in in um, HbA one c, which overall is. Um, uh, a good thing for patients, but, um, that some of the trials, for example, the sustained study, uh, again, those was, was a higher number of patients with, uh, with retinopathy progression. So it is important. I think the first thing is to recognize the people at risk, and those are people with almost certainly those who have pre-existing retinopathy, very high HbA1c and, uh, a rapid, um, a dr- a large drop over a short, relatively short time period, sort of three to six months. Uh, and the thresholds we probably think about are something like a reduction of 1 to 1.5 in the old uh, DCCT units or, or equivalent to about 10, 15 in the IFFC uh, units. Yes, it, certainly in patients who are at high risk, then physicians might consider lowering the HbA1c at a slightly lower rate, as we said, um thinking of a threshold of about 1 to 1.5 the old units over, over approximately six months or something like that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we hope to better describe this uh, phenomenon in the near future from some uh, studies that we have ongoing. But at the moment, I think it is being aware of who's at risk, considering with people who already have retinopathy, and that result will usually be available from the, the screening programme if they've got any retinopathy, the, the, the patient will have received that result. And um, then possibly taking, taking steps to the more gradual reduction in HbA1c.
1: Thank you. That was really interesting. Um, finally, for people with established retinal complications, are there specific treatment and management strategies you'd recommend? Uh, for example, prioritising normalisation of blood pressure over glycemia?
2: Well, I think I think um, it's it's for both um, the uh, physician who's looking after the patient and for the ophthalmologist to work with the patient to improve their glycemic control and include improve their blood pressure control because those are the two things that we know in the long term are going to make a difference to their eyes. But also, often retinopathy um, is uh, we're able to detect that at an earlier stage than. than other complications, uh, and if we know that a patient has um, has established retinopathy, then we know they're at higher risk of the other complications, and that uh, the in control of HBA1c, control of blood pressure are the things we can do to uh, to re- reduce the risk of progression across all the all those organs. Um, so, so yeah, so I, th- I think it's it's communication between the different uh, healthcare professionals who are seeing the patients. Um, the other things, obviously, are to uh, education of the, the patient. If patients uh, can be educated and empowered by all, all the different teams that, that are seeing them, uh, then, then they're, they're, they're very much likely, likely to do, do better.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today.
2: This brings
0: us to the end of another informative session. To summarize, patients should be receiving annual checkups to monitor for signs of retinopathy. Proper glucose control can reduce the risk of development and progression of retinopathy. However, caution should be taken in people with established disease, as rapid normalization of HbA1c can worsen the condition. Finally, in cases of established disease, patients should be referred for specialist treatment in secondary care.
1: If you'd like to hear more from us on the latest developments in diabetes, you can subscribe to the podcast across all major apps or stream individual episodes from our website. If you found the episode useful, please leave us a review or tweet us at DKIPractice. You can also access our free accredited CME content at knowledgeandpractice.eu. Thank you for listening.
0: And thank you for joining us. If you have any further questions for our experts, or if you want to share your own clinical experience, join the discussion online using the hashtag DKIPretinopathy on Twitter. We look forward to hearing your thoughts, and we'll join you again in the next two weeks.